So here we are back at another episode of Conversing Labs. This is Reversing Labs podcast where we talk about all things supply chain security, threat intelligence, um, threat analysis, malware analysis. Um, and I'm really happy to have in the studio Alex Matrasov of the firm Binarly. Uh, Alex, welcome. Hello, everyone. Uh Alex Matrasov here, and uh, thank you, Paul, for inviting me for this podcast. We're really uh, excited to have you on there. We have a lot to talk about. Um, you, you, finally, does some really interesting research. You and I ran into each other recently at LabsCon, uh, this great conference uh, that happened down in Phoenix um, that Sentinel One um, sponsored. Uh, Reversing Lab sponsored it too. Binarly sponsored it three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit for, for folks who might, might not be familiar with the company. Let me start from my background and then I come from to the company. Why actually uh, I can talk about the supply chain attacks comes down to the firmware and hardware. And basically I started my career as a reverse engineer in early 2000s. I've been focused on uh, reverse engineering uh, advanced threats like root kids, boot kids. And of course it's naturally comes down to some firmware stuff because basically uh natural evolution of the attacker from the perspective of uh, getting the persistence. Of course, it comes to the firmware and hardware because it's where you can persist and no security solutions can see you, right? And I worked for Intel Corporation when actually I've been one of the senior security researchers focused on offensive security research for uh, for the firmware and uh, silicon level threads. And then uh, actually I moved my career more to GPU direction. I worked a few years at NVIDIA and built the offensive security research team there. I became a chief offensive security researcher, which is actually give me a lot of background to the different type of uh, attack surfaces. Uh, start from the automotive, choose uh, robotics and uh, IoT automation with machine learning, and of course, GPUs and data center. And uh, looking at the industry in general, um, I see all these repeatable failures are happening. Like we have all these attacks repeating again and again, same type of vulnerabilities. And it's how with my co-founder, Claudio Teodorescu, we decided to start binarily seeing all these repeatable threats like need some sort of solution and we don't see anything exist in the industry so far. And it's how Binary initially been uh, uh, founded. And uh, what actually Binary does is that's another question you just asked, right? So, and uh, Binary, it's very interesting company because what we try to do, we try to focus on supply chain threats, but from the different perspective, a lot of people talking from the supply chain perspective on the source code level, on actual infrastructure level and others, we focus down to the firmware and hardware mm. where we actually providing uh, deep code inspection, but not on the source code level, on actual binary level, exactly what comes to the customers, to the devices as an updates or actual updates, which is already been deployed. And, um, we, we uh, try to detect malicious activity. We try to find uh, known vulnerabilities and uh, also known ones. We call them known unknowns when the bug classes are already known for our platform, but we try to figure it out if something new can appear. And um, that's very interesting problem to solve because if you think about like you have firmware update, 
coming from the vendor, but how you can trust this firmware update when you deploy into the power grid where you have like a 5,000 H computing nodes. And uh, basically, if something goes wrong, what you will do? You basically deploy all this upda- update on all these nodes. And then basically, like you can just yes. uh, disrupt the energy for a city, right? Right. The horse has left the barn, as the saying goes. Exactly. Um, so I guess let's define some terms before we go too deep down into the discussion. When we're talking about firmware, um, what are we what are we really talking about um, as opposed to just the software that runs on applications or laptops that companies are used to thinking about in the context of security? I think that's a very good question. And I would say uh, we need to clarify what the firmware does, but yeah. also, of course, depends on of the device, it can be a different purpose of the firmware and different type of the firmware as well. But let's start from the simple one, what the firmware is. Firmware, it is a software, of course, and is a middle layer between the hardware and your operating system, which is provide some initialization of the hardware to actually boot your operating system effectively and uh, efficiently for, uh, for the usage of the hardware resources. But if you think about the modern laptops, of course, like you have many, many layers of the boot process and the whole operating system uh, on x86 uh, uh, laptops or servers, it is actually a real-time operating system. The firmware is like uh, over 6 million lines of code. I mean, like it's bigger than modern Antos kernel, right? So basically like it's a very comprehensive a layer of the software, which yeah. has been uh, historically overlooked from security solutions. And it's not because uh, it's not happening. It's more because we don't know, know about that, right? I think most people think of firmware, they think of a really small software image, you know, that it's fairly, um, you know, basic in its functionality and hardened. Um, so when you say, wow, six million lines of code, that sounds like a big attack surface to me. Um, and, and what is it? Um, firmware, when we talk about it, what types of functions or role does it play in the um, function of the device, whatever that is, whether it's a, you know, router? Even uh, your AirPods, like, have multiple firmwares, right? So you're using an AirPods, and uh, this is very interesting because you have uh, multiple sensor across this device. You have the firmware, which is responsible for communicating with your laptop phone, uh, like responsible for actual wireless communication over the Bluetooth. Bluetooth. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You have uh, actual audio device in this embedded in your AirPod ear. Every ear have a separate device. And this device has another firmware, which is actually responsible for sound quality and others and for the microphone. And um, actually, this comes to... Uh, the conclusion when we have uh, the device, which is, looks pretty simple, but it's actually have a very comprehensive uh, firmware inside. And another thing like a trackpad, right? So this is also the device, which is every laptop has, right? And uh, a lot of people don't uh, think about, but this device has also the firmware. And this firmware can be tricked because in many cases, I've been seeing uh, trackpads, firmwares are not signed. So it's easy to modify, easy to actually deploy on the trackpad. And uh, 
Uh, if you think about like usually users workflow, as example, with uh, financial systems and others, it's like uh, pretty predictable because we have uh, same interface where the transaction should made and others. If you program this trackpad maliciously, it can actually create some harm. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, not many firmwares consider it to be secure. We're thinking about some main ones, but what about other ones, which is also can uh, can be used maliciously? And uh, I mean, basically, I would say the firmware, it is some piece of software which is provide, uh, in many cases, uh, an ability to device uh, to program the device and their workflows. Mm-hmm. And the trackpad is a simple device, right? Probably it doesn't have uh, like the whole operating system or probably real-time operating system embedded in its firmware. But yeah, let's uh, maybe like focus on some details, go down to the security level. So when we think about uh, the, the larger software world, obviously there are you know tens of thousands, even more companies that, produce and publish software in the firmware space is it that is it as diverse are there that many companies producing firmware is basically each hardware company making its own firmware um, or is it more consolidated where you have a few big companies that are making oh, the firmware that's that a yeah. great question and this actually comes uh, to the whole supply chain problem we have in the industry because like Nobody can produce a modern laptop just themselves. You have too many different devices embedded on your laptop. SSD drive, CPU, uh, wireless baseband, and many others, even trackpad right. we just discussed. Right, very right? specialized so, pieces, and right. Exactly. All these pieces come from the third party. And sometimes even this third party is not responsible for developing the firmware. They have the contractors or some other third parties which is actually produce the firmware for themselves. And uh, for them... And that's actually uh, creates a very comprehensive and very, very complicated picture of the supply chain for modern device. And uh, also, uh, let's just take the system firmware, uh, which is UEFI firmware powering the laptops and servers. Basically, we have Intel reference code or AMD reference code. Then we have like uh, some public layer called EDK2. Then we have... Uh, middle layer between device manufacture and uh, actual uh, uh, package of the firmware. It is called IBV, independent bias developers like American Megatrans, Insight, or Phoenix, which is producing this package uh, to actually uh, shortcut the time of the product delivery to the market because Mm -hmm. it helps to kind of like more generalize the platform code from what actual device sure. provide unique features, right? right. So, right. and uh, manufacturers like Dell, Lenovo, uh, HP, and others, they focused mainly to create their own device features and try to basically power their own device with unique capabilities in the firmware. This goes to the question, how many original code developed by device vendors? And to be honest, it's not many lines of the code written by them. In general, like based on our statistics, it comes to five to eight percent of uh, the whole firmware package developed to device by device manufacturers. But think about it. it's actually 92 or even more percent of uh, the code base comes from the third party. And, and maybe more or less standard between different types of devices. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So when we when we're thinking about, you know, binary obviously is focused on securing and identifying threats within um, firmware. When we think about the threat landscape um, uh, for firmware, uh, the types of threats and attacks that might be targeted at firmware, what are we talking about? Pretty similar to other types of applications or is it really different? Uh, it's actually different, and um, uh, different by many uh, reasons. Uh, basically, that from the attacker perspective, it should be much more comprehensive technical skills to actually develop such threats. But also, of course, compared to um, modern uh, operating system level mitigations, I would say uh, the cost of such of, of such attack will be lower to buying all this chain of the exploits need to be used for bypass modern Windows 11 security features on modern hardware, right? And uh, I mean, that's exactly what's happening. And uh, uh, more and more uh, different threat actors start looking into the firmware direction. Even the attacks are not new. And I would say the stand-sponsored threat actors been using the firmware uh, goes to early 2000s. And uh, also, let's talk about uh, recent discoveries like Moonbounce, right? So Moonbounce, uh, it's a threat which has been based on uh, Chinese uh, uh, firmware implant kit, which has been basically been developed back to 2013-2012. And uh, actual industry endpoint solutions discovered this threat in 2000 uh, in 2020 uh, second right so basically like um, I mean uh, 10 years it's been, <laughs> yeah exactly right. so it's it's pretty good level of persistent I would say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, if uh, the attacker can get one month of persistent it's very huge timeline yeah <laughs> about like 10 years it's impossible right so right. <laughs> Ten years, you kind of you kind of own the company at that point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, how are these how are these attacks um, le like leveraged? Um, you know, if if a typical attack on an endpoint, uh, you know, higher up in the stack starts with maybe social engineering and account compromise and privilege escalation. When we're talking about firmware attacks. Is that just, is the firmware just a later stage in a traditional attack or do the attacks actually target the firmware from the get-go? Of course, it depends on the threat actors, but basically it's, uh, of course, connects uh, supply chain problems when during like the transition of the device, some third party can have an access to this device and do something. And basically, this uh, action can perform uh, enabling some malicious uh, firmware or deploying some malicious firmware on the device. Uh, this is more compre comprehensive attack because you need a physical access, right? But if we talk about the remote attack vectors, it's actually uh, pretty much part of uh, some exploit chain. And... Uh, of course, like to deploy the modern malware, you need to kind of like uh, push the user to run something on their host machine, or they need to kind of like uh, uh, browse a remote code execution. And then basically it comes with a payload. Uh, from the firmware perspective, you need some driver to communicate with some physical memory space to actually deploy the firmware on x86 systems or uh, exploit um, 
vulnerabilities on on the firmware side, but uh, also uh, actual uh, complexity of current uh, IT infrastructure comes from uh, uh, modern devices. It uh, helps to the attacker because if you think about Windows management instrumentation, uh, like you need to like let's say you have a five thousand users in your network, how you can deploy the firmware update to all of them simultaneously, right? right? You basically can't go with flash drive to all of them and uh, kind of like uh, deploy an update. You need some solution for that. And of course, uh, in this case, like a Windows management instrumentation and others uh, de deploying tools like uh, SolarWinds as well, by the way, uh, it helps uh, IT uh, uh, IT people in the large companies to actually uh, support their infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's open new doors for the attacker. As example, you can remotely disable secure boot on many devices. You can remotely deploy the firmware update and uh, do other things. So basically that can uh, reduce uh, the needs of the driver layer, it actually comes comes down with some of the automation. And in 2019, on Offensive Con conference, I've been demonstrating some sort of the attack vectors when we can call some firmware functionality from Visual Basic script. That's wow. pretty scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, how, um, I mean, you mentioned, you know, how organizations are doing, you know, um, firmware management, which is often just using traditional IT management platforms and tools like WMI or yeah. SolarWinds Orion. How aware are organizations of the th threat or you know, uh, risks that firmware poses? Is it sort of like, well, this is running below the operating system, so we don't really need to worry about it? Or are they aware of these threats and trying to do something about it? First of all, it really depends on the type of maturity of organization. But if you ask uh, probably like most of the thesis about their top five of the problems, the firmware, it's not in top five. But if you're talking about the critical infrastructure or some other uh, very sensitive to the firmware threats uh, uh, companies, it will be, uh, of course, like at least in top 10. And uh, last year, executive order and uh, actual uh, assessment report from DHS and CISA, it helps to push forward uh, in awareness about the firmware threats in general. And I'm really happy about that it's happening because uh, like when uh, the argument you're getting uh, like, oh, the threats, it's not exist because we don't see it, or basically we don't have much threats being discovered publicly, but then your company reporting 100 plus vulnerabilities yearly, like that's kind of like scary, right? Uh, huge attack surface and nobody actually looking on that. That means it's give an attacker an advantage. And it's why also binary teams stand for to actually help to fix such supply chain problems. Do we know, um, I, I know that there was like earlier, I think it was over the summer, there was some, or maybe it was even last year, um, there were some stories written that uh, maybe the Conti ransomware group was developing exploits for firmware, um, you know, as a way to, you know, advance their attacks. Have we seen this? Have we seen either cyber criminal or APT actors actively looking to exploit firmware vulnerabilities? 
from the perspective of the threats we're currently uh, seeing in the wild, it's mainly uh, on the on uh, state-sponsored actors, but also we see the shift of the cyber criminal scene. When I mentioned it, like the cost of the attack on operating system level, it's uh, actually increasing significantly. And then sure. they need to figure out something else. And then basically it goes down to the firmware because it gives them in a in technical advantage uh, uh, to perform an attack with more uh, uh, cheaper uh, way if possible. So, and uh, uh, talking about the Conti and other, uh, I think it's been Conti, TrickBot and most recent Black Lotus, but all of them actually uh, contain a lot of information about like how they wanted to use, but nobody has these samples. I mean, TrickBot probably it's been the closest one. They've been collecting information about uh, your firmware security, about your configuration and machine and others. Most likely they've been performing some of the attacks. About the Conti, uh, we don't have the public samples available, but I pretty much sure they did something. And related to Black Lotus, uh, that's uh most recent one which has been come from a register article by some Kaspersky uh researcher. Yeah. But unfortunately we don't have any evidence about these uh samples are available or it is a real uh malware. Right. So also we didn't find in dark web any sort of information related to this uh advertisement which has been mentioned on this article. What is also kind of weird for me, it's been no evidence, screenshots or something like which will show original source of right. information. Right. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I like the name Black Lotus. Uh, but basically, so far, I didn't uh, see any uh, any data points which is, can confirm these threats and actually exist. What do you like if when we talk about ways to secure firmware from, a, you know, sort of hardened firmware or hardened organizations so they're less vulnerable to attacks uh, on firmware that might be used. Um, visibility strikes me as like one of the things first, which is like, you know, you talk about three different types of firmware just in my AirPods, and then you think at the scale of, a, of an enterprise, right, um, all the different um, IT devices, you know, devices with IP addresses that they've got deployed and all the different types of firmware that might be on them. So what do, what do organizations need to do from a visibility standpoint just to understand what firmware is even in their environment so that they can prior, you know, kind of triage and prioritize it? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. And um, it comes to classification of different type of devices, right? We have a network appliances, which is, has a firmware and uh, actually that attacks on such devices, it's happening in the wild with already known um, vulnerabilities from the CISA directory. And um, uh, other ones, it is IoT devices, right? Or our home routers and others, how frequently they get updated, I think, pretty rare and uh, not because user don't want update. Even if he enable like automatic updates deliveries, the vendors, unfortunately, most of the vendors not frequently releasing an updates. And these devices has actually contained the whole Linux kernel and also a lot of dependencies. And basically we see like monthly, it's a lot of vulnerabilities on these core components uh, get fixed, but basically it's not deployed in the field. 
what if like I have a vulnerable DNS library on my router and it can be exploited remotely, right? Basically, I mean, it's definitely need more regulations and uh, we see that coming uh, and uh, it's more actual certification for IoT devices, even for the home routers, but it will be take a lot of time and effort. And uh, also uh, what, how we can actually, uh, what we can do to uh, fix these problems and uh, uh, how we can uh, help ourselves. I mean, that's a very complicated question because like if you go to the Best Buy and if you pick just a random router, I'm pretty much sure I can get the remote code execution of this device because <laughs> yeah. first of all, it will be not the recent firmware. And uh, if it's not enabled and auto update and you could just power up on this device, like it will be some sort of like a, uh, definitely like the list of known vulnerabilities is in there. And um, actually in this case, um, SBOM, software bill of materials, and all this dependency graph activity is going on right now, right. which is very, very uh, comprehensive on operating system layer, but it's not less comprehensive on the firmware layer where we need to get more attention to because everybody talking like, oh, we need to actually create all these dependency graphs for uh, operating system layer components, but what about the firmwares? Right. What about like the firmware when the firmware contains the whole Linux uh, uh, image uh, inside. Of course, like it's not because Linux it's part of the firmware. It's more about like this firmware package contains Linux image, which is delivered as the same firmware update, and it's updating the same timelines, right? So, in my opinion, SBOM it's actually uh, will be benefit industry a lot. But we also need to understand the SBOM it's a dependency graph. It's dependency graph between the libraries, but basically what if the library it is the most recent version, but still contain the vulnerabilities. So it doesn't help you to check this vulnerabilities, it's help you to classify what is inside. Right. And another problem with S-bombs, like the S-bombs can be provided by the vendor, but you need to also validate S-bomb if it's S-bomb actually it's source of truth and maybe the vendor just forget an update as bomb and basically right. update the software, right. right? Include new dependencies, but it can be That's uh, right. surprising. Yeah. And a lot of the, even the federal guidance, you know, you're still having vendors self, uh, self attest to, to the security of their ware. So just like you're trusting that when they send you that software update, that it's not, you know, got a back door in it. You're also just kind of trusting that that SBOM they send you is comprehensive and complete and isn't missing something or, right? I mean, so it's still falling to trust. And as we know, that leaves you vulnerable. So talk about what Binarly does with companies when you get invited in. So what what kinds of companies do you work with? What types of problems um, bring them to your doorstep and say, you know, we need your help? So uh, we work in with different type of companies and it goes through like a device manufacturers, large enterprise companies or the critical infrastructure. And let's talk about the device manufacturers. And one of the problems we help them to solve, it's actually scope what their own product lines are impacted from the vulnerability standpoint. Because in many cases, when you have like a 100 product lines, and uh, every product line have a separate repository for the firmware, it's hard to scope. And the source, unfortunately, the source code level tools doesn't help because it can be modified 
caught of uh, the same component which is vulnerable, and then this same rule will be actually failing. But on the binary level, which is actually source of truth, you can see if this vulnerable trigger is exist and uh, potentially can be exploitable. And um, we help them to scope uh, uh, vulnerable product lines and understand the risk and impact from the perspective to remediate as soon as possible for their customers. On the other side, for enterprise infrastructure, let's say like you need to understand um, your devices are not vulnerable for known vulnerabilities, also don't contain any malicious code. And what is very important for the industry, we have a lot of a lot of discussion about the integrity checking and integrity monitoring of the device. But if you think about like the integrity doesn't uh, answer the most important question, what happened in your infrastructure, it doesn't provide you understanding about the risk and impact, right? So, and if you uh, basically unfortunately facing some firmware or device level related uh, incident and your incident response team just sees this alert with integrity failing, they just don't know what to do. Uh, or like a security operation center will be just stuck on that because they not understand what the next steps should be. Because like, yes, of course they can disconnect the device, but what if the similar type of the devices in your network also impacted? Of course you can disconnect all of them, but how you can understand the impact on your company infrastructure? And um, that comes to very important value we are providing. We actually answer the most important question, what's the impact and what's the next steps? How these threats looks like? We basically can classify uh, the malicious activity in your firmware, not only failing the integrity uh, answers and uh, other things, but most importantly, we save the time uh, for incident response teams and the time for incident response team is most, most important asset because uh, even few hours uh, waste of the time, it can cost much more uh, financially and uh, it can impact the company infrastructure much more. Okay. So I can imagine like security teams, like their head kind of exploding because, you know, they've got their hand full now um, dealing with, you know, remote workforce, dealing with, you know, their legacy IT infrastructure, dealing with cloud uh, infrastructure. And now Alex is coming along and saying, you're not even you're not even looking at the firmware and you really should be because that's a risk too that you're really not accounting for. You're absolutely right, Bram. From other side, you also think about like uh, how many firmware reverse engineers you have on your team. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. Zero. So right. basically, even they want to help, they right. basically don't have a skill for that. Right. So thinking in terms of like crawling, walking, running, right? Like, you know, progress. Um, where can they start to start to bring this under the umbrella, under the security umbrella, you know, of their existing, you know, IT security operations? Like what, how would you triage this, you know, like sort it um, from a, from a priority uh, perspective? Probably priority number one will be understand your assets, what the devices you are of in your infrastructure, because sometimes let's say like you have, a lot of 
different development teams and just like a few developers bring new router from uh, Best Buy, connect a few new workstation for, let's say, prototyping environment yeah. of new product or feature, right? And then you're not aware about this device, but this device connect to your infrastructure, it's connect to internet and actually exposed, right? So, I mean, the asset management probably will be the first and important to understand. The second, asset management from the firmware perspective, what right. the versions are. And third one, it will be actual vulnerability management when you need to scope which devices are vulnerable, what the risks are they are exposing. And even if you have a most recent firmware, it doesn't guarantee you to have like uh, the zero risk or zero known vulnerabilities left there. Think about like we presented our uh, uh, research at Black Hat in uh, beginning of August. And then we figured out in the first week of September, actually 50% of vulnerabilities we are presenting, it's not fixed. But yeah. it's been coordinated disclosure with the vendors. It's been basically everything being agreed on. And then we figured out enterprise devices are not fixed. That's kind of like scary, right? And and why is that, Alex? Is that just is that just a culture issue within the industry, you know, within the sort of firmware part of the industry, just lower level of um lower level of awareness or urgency about fixing vulnerabilities or or are, is it more complicated or complex to fix these firmware issues than to fix uh, just an application issue? In general, it's actually comes to a few different directions. Of course, if it is design issues, it's hard to fix, right? Probably they will be stay forever there. If it is, uh, let's say, by the vendor, if vendor thinks the risks are not that high, uh, they can basically postpone the fix. On, from other side, also, it can be like some of the devices been fixed, some of them not. That means they probably have a struggle of scoping these impactful parties or the devices in their own uh, product lines. And I think it's why we developed this open source approach called Firmware Hunt to actually scope and detect such problems and give a tool to the industry. So, and so, um, uh, talk about that if you could. Yeah, of course. So, we uh, binarily uh, developed the Firmware Hunt. Uh, it is an approach for detecting known vulnerabilities. And uh, think is like we've been uh, understand for detecting known vulnerabilities and unknown vulnerabilities, it's two separate problems, which need to be solved separately and need different type of tools. And uh, we developed the semantic-based approach to scan and find the vulnerabilities because we also understand, as example, Yara rules doesn't effectively work for such problems because they've been created for detecting an IOCs and some sort of like uh, properties of malicious activity into the binary files yeah. or let's say any sort of files, uh, but they are not being suitable for detecting vulnerabilities. Because if you think about the vulnerability trigger, it can be not just one single function. It can be different functions need to be have different type of properties. And then it comes down to single vulnerability. And uh, if you create in the Yara rule for that, it will be pretty uh, long Yara rule. Uh, secondly, it will be quite opaque. Nobody will be understand it. And for your customers, it will be just a black box. And we've been thinking how we can actually create something which will be have a more context, more easy to develop, easy to support, and it will be more given more transparency about uh, actual detection. So that's how 
original idea with the firmware hunt uh, came up. And is that an open source tool? It's an open source tool. You can find our uh, community scanner, uh, which is also based on uh, binary uh, analysis frameworks, which is also open sourced uh, in our GitHub. Uh, yeah, so we can we'll, probably we'll provide link the links. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, another tool we developed, it's called GFI Explorer. It actually gives uh, security teams uh, an ability to reverse engineer the firmware inside the pro plugin, but in the same time, it's actually uh, uh, create the semantic annotations for uh, with the context on the firmware about UEFI and uh, reconstruct a lot of important structures to actually give you a lot of advantage in terms of like you don't need to do it manually and you save in the time and actually can react on such threats much more effectively. In some points, you even don't need to be an expert in UEFI. It's already give you a lot of context, which is actually uh, human readable. Uh, like human readable from the reverse engineer perspective. So, <laughs> so final question um, at LabsCon, you presented sort of, sort of a follow up to some research that you presented at Black Hat on vulnerabilities in WMI um, uh, Windows management um, uh, infrastructure, um, and talk about that, and talk about some of the ways that you know companies. Uh, first of all, talk about that. Talk about the what the research you're doing now and what problems you're looking at now and just how companies need to be aware of some of the ways that, you know, um, these vulnerabilities might be used against them. So uh, we give uh, two talks. Uh, my co-founder and CTO have been talking about Windows management instrumentation and how basically it can blind the modern SIEM and uh, EDR solution in the field. So basically we just try to raise an awareness what type of the threats it's basically can came and uh, use already existing mechanism to actually be more stealthy and uh, bypass modern security solutions. But uh, also from other side, we uh, provide a very comprehensive uh, research on the firmware. And uh, it's been uh, about 60% of uh, our Black Hat research. But also we uh, presented that seven new vulnerabilities, high impact vulnerabilities mm -hmm. uh, related to uh, one of the IBV's uh, source code, uh, not source code, uh, uh, packages. So basically what happened, this is uh, kind of like, a, uh, if you attack uh, the code which is related to this third party component, you attack all the devices which is rely on this component. And in this case, like uh, the attack, uh, like, uh, vulnerabilities we found it's been focused on inside software, uh, which is powered a lot of devices uh, like uh, servers and others, but it doesn't mean their code is worse than like other IBV. It's not. I think like working closely with these guys, we managed like a less than 90 days disclosure timeline and they really care about security. I mean, for I, it's first time ever I can say, the disclosure for the firmware threat, I have less than six months. So usually it goes like very, very long timeline yeah. to disclose. I have the disclosures, which has been like a 14 month. Like in uh, 2020, we are presented, uh, not 20, 2021, we presented with uh, Alex Teryoshkin and Adam Zabrotsky some right. uh, 
vulnerability we found in Intel reference code. And this has been a long disclosure. I can't probably tell you exact timeline, but it's been very, very long disclosure. But finally, we've been patching this vulnerability, uh, at least uh, on the vendor side, but also because it is related to some sort of reference code, a lot of devices in the field been impacted and we still see some unpatched devices with such vulnerabilities. Same comes to any sort of IBV, independent BIOS developer code, because uh, on one side, the vendor patched, but deployed systems need to be patched too, right, in the field. Okay, so your final advice for companies, it just sounds like there's a, there are a couple problems here. There's a problem on the sort of getting vendors to be more responsive and patch in a short, in a, in a timely manner. Also an awareness problem on the customer, on the end user side to make sure that First of all, they're they're looking for vulnerable firmware within their organization. Second of all, that they're applying patches when they finally become available, right? My uh, probably advice will be trust, but verify because basically like uh, even the most recent version, it doesn't guarantee you like your device is secure. And uh, basically we blindly trust everything which is come signed from the vendor side. We just apply it to our devices, but also Sometimes even the vendors who produce the device or like developing the firmware, they don't have an access to some of the components in the source code. They have right. just the binaries. Right. And then basically they don't have enough information to trust the source. They just blindly Exactly. Yeah. Right. And uh, I mean, it's provide a lot of risk and we definitely need to pay much more attention to this uh, attack vectors and threats, which is coming from below operating system layer. And it's been historically overlooked, but because we just have too many problems on operating system yeah. <laughs> and application layer, but now yeah. it's time we need yeah. to rethink that. We're getting a lot of guidance from from the federal government on you know supply chain security, SDLC, you know secure development lifecycle, um, you know uh, SBOM and stuff. Do they need to talk more specifically now and give more specific guidance around this firmware problem than, than they have? What, what are your thoughts? I think uh, we're talking a lot. Yeah, like firmware is mentioned it. And as example, like uh, uh, firmware, it's considered as a critical piece of software. But we yeah. definitely need to classify more uh, the firmware uh regulations and basically comes down to the firmware explanation, how we can apply SBOM to the firmware, even if it is a software, but sometimes it's misunderstood or basically if firmware be not discussed, it's does, like for some of the kind people- of, Oh, that's part of the uh, hardware, right? Yeah, it's like, right. it's just not important, right? right. But it is, it is important and uh, it is a root of trust for, it's foundational for zero trust, if you think, like how you yeah. can trust something which is on your up-level stack if you don't trust your middle layer or hardware, right? So, like, I mean, we have a lot of a lot of problems in the industry to fix. That's interesting times when probably at some point we get much more secure devices and, uh, like, all malware will be gone. But probably it isn't a topic because <laughs> devices yeah. get more and more We're gonna complex. We're going to have to find another line of work, I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, complexity, it is an enemy of security. And I mean, yeah. like, uh, complexity just growing at all the layers of our software stacks, includes the firmware. And unfortunately, it doesn't give us benefit of, like, make this code more secure because we can make one library secure, but we actually deploy 10 more new ones, right? right? <laughs> 
Final question. I mean, do you think we were talking before we came on just about some of the some of the hacks against chip uh, silicon vendors going back, you know, a couple of years, um, you know, NVIDIA and so on. Um, do you think we're going to start to see more in the wild attacks targeting firmware as we go you know, into 2023 and beyond? Is this going to be something that we start to see more of? You know, that's actually a very important and interesting topic. First of all, you're absolutely right. Like if you think about for the last two years, we have attacks on Gigabyte, Intel, NVIDIA, Samsung, Acer, and Lenovo. So basically, like this, not like accidentally happening. Looks like it's really a precise focus Campaign. for the attackers, mm-hmm. yeah, to actually breach such uh, uh, such companies. And in this sense, it's actually can create very clearly supply chain problems because, uh, like, if the attacker already have an access to infrastructure, like where the source code stores or like to development machine, so most likely he can potentially have access to the build server. So it can be something which is can be deployed on the devices later on, right? So it's pretty scary. And uh, also the time of reaction of such attacks, it's also scary as well because most of the vendors just not ready. So if you think about the Taiwanese vendors, which is like a, uh, developing the fir- like a firmware for third-party manufacturing device, uh, uh, for device manufacturers, so... Basically, in most of the cases, they don't have security teams, you know, it's just a bunch of the developers and uh, uh, some business unit for managing the discussion with the device vendors. That's pretty much it. Like, I remember the time when I've been talking a few years ago with some Taiwanese vendor and I asked what kind of procedures you guys doing for the security. Oh, we have a uh, antivirus solution. We scan every single firmware with this antivirus solution, but... Guys, it's not suitable for such threats. It just will be not detect. Yes, but it's all give us green, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so basically, you know, Taiwanese silicon manufacturer, I mean, who would want to target them, right? Because they're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly yes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And uh, this scared me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's it scared me a lot because, like, you're absolutely right. It's like yeah. a pretty sweet target, and yeah. uh, also, like, think about with some, with some interested parties. You know, we could we could the, the, the list of interested parties is um, yeah, sure. I would say now come back to our supply chain discussion. That's exactly the threat. That's exactly the impact, which actually can tell, like, oh, at some point every produced device can be compromised because like somebody who's been involved in production process has been compromised, right? Alex, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? I think we pretty much discussed everything. I don't know. It's just flows. I, I, yeah, it's it been great. a bit of chaos in my <laughs> uh, mind stream, which I uh, put on your podcast, but hopefully it's kind of like yeah. a connected thoughts and you enjoyed the discussion. Very much. No, it was a great conversation and we should definitely have you back. I have a feeling that this is a topic that's going to be getting uh, a lot more attention um, in the months ahead. So maybe we can, uh, we can Absolutely. Have, to have you back on Conversing Labs. Absolutely. Alex Matrasov of Binarly, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on uh, Conversing Labs. And we will do this again, okay? Thank you very much, Paul, for having me. It's been a fun discussion. And uh, let's let's try to uh, do it again in some future and rethink the supply chain security comes down to the firmware and hardware. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. <laughs>